Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. The presenting sponsor of Run Vass Option is Coach Tube. This week's Coach Vass Coach Tube Corner fittingly features. Coastal Carolina offensive line coach Bill Durkin and his course on running counter during this year's Lawrence First and Goal Clinic. He begins the clinic by discussing program values at Coastal Carolina along with basic O-line fundamentals. He talks about the play versus a variety of fronts and diagrams each look with a drawing and then follows it up with many examples on film. He goes over counter versus the odd, under, and over fronts as well as the tight front and then shows their tight end counter versus over as well as how they run counter versus play side pressure and movement. This course is only $19.99, and the link will be posted in the show notes. Coach Durkin is a fantastic coach, and if you want to run counter, I highly recommend it. Again, make sure you check out the link in the show notes, or just go to CoachTube and type in Bill Durkin. That's D-U-R-K-I-N. And I hope you enjoy the course as much as I did. Hey now, welcome to the second episode of Run Vass Option. My name is Chris Vasser, a.k.a. Coach Vass. Thank you so much for joining me. Today we have Willie Korn, offensive coordinator from Coastal Carolina. We go over some of Coach Korn's unique run schemes and some of his favorite passing plays and talk about the unique philosophy of the Coastal offense and how it's brought them a lot of success. Coach Korn was very engaging and very forthcoming and is one of my favorite guests that I've had on any podcast that I've done. Housekeeping notes before we get started. Go to Twitter, at Coach Vass, or the show's account, at Run Vass Option. You can check out the defensive podcast, at MDGA Podcast. Make sure you check out the Patreon, patreon.com. We will have all of Coastal's plays by concept, so you can check that out. Check out the orange tier. I know that this has been one of the most exciting offenses that uh, coaches have seen in a long time. The fusion of the option, some of the pull schemes that harken back to the days of the wing T with the spread elements involved. It's just a unique concoction, and I'm really excited for you here at this podcast. Other housekeeping, make sure you subscribe and rate and review the show. It helps coaches find it. Show the new pod some love. You know, I decided to do it as its own thing. People have asked, why, why didn't you just put it on the, the other show? I thought it'd be weird to have a podcast named Make Defense Great Again and then go ahead and start throwing shows up about offense so we have our own thing, our own logo, our own attitude. So help spread the word if you wouldn't mind. 
We'd greatly appreciate it. Check out the website, coachfast.com, where you'll find links to everything, merch, consulting, previous pods. I'm going to get the Run Vast option show up there with old episodes soon. It's episode two, so I think we're good for uh, right now. <laughs> also, as I mentioned at the beginning of the show, this week's Coach Tube Corner features Bill Durkin, offensive line coach from Coastal Carolina. And also later on, you'll hear about Alex Kirby's book on Coastal's offense. Check the show notes for links to both of those items, as well as links to my YouTube channel, youtube.com slash coachfastfootball. I admit that it will start off being defensive themed, but we're going to do a little bit of everything as time goes on. So make sure you go to the link and subscribe. Also, speaking of show notes, make sure you take advantage of them. For every episode, I catalog every subject that we address on the podcast with timestamps. I know the show can be dense with information. This enables you to listen more casually. Maybe you're going to work. You're on a road trip. You're not exactly in a place to be able to stop and take notes. I understand. This enables you to be able to go back, find exactly where you want to pick up. If there was something you wanted to write down or something you wanted to draw up, they are a very big pain in the ass to do. So please take advantage of them so I'm not sad. But in all seriousness, they are a great resource. So make sure you check them out. Well, that about covers everything. So let's get straight into the show. My guest today is Willie Korn, quarterbacks coach and co-offensive coordinator at Coastal Carolina. Coach, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks, man. Appreciate you having me on. I'm excited to be a part of the new podcast. I appreciate you coming on, man. I know it's uh, we're recording pretty early. You're, you're hanging out in the car, uh, giving me some of your time, so I'm very appreciative of that. Well, first, I got to say congrats on, the, on a great season. I know that you guys really caught the imagination of the country, and there were a lot of coaches behind you rooting for you throughout the season. You guys got a fun program. You got a fun offense, and so congratulations on that. I appreciate that. Yeah, I think you, you, um, um, you, your listeners won't be able to uh, get a feel for this, but the reason you know, you're committed to this podcast, I tip my cap, man, because we're having to do this at 6 a.m. because I've got a three-week-old newborn in the house, and this is like you're structuring everything around her schedule. So I, I know she stays up late, but she sleeps in late too. So that's why we're, we're, we're going this early. But uh, no, it was a phenomenal – it was just, a, just such an exciting year. So much – I mean, it's probably the funnest year of – of football that I've ever experienced throughout my, my career. Um, not obviously it's easy to say that when you have the success, but, um, but man, it's just such a good group of guys, just the group of guys I work with our coaching staff. We've been together for a long time and I know we'll get into that, but a lot of the guys in the staff been together for over 10 years at other schools and got a great group of kids, man. Just a lot of, I can't, I don't know if we have a single, you know, bad kid really, you know, we just got a a lot of uh, really good kids that care about the team, care about the program. And so when you've got that, it, it makes it easy to come to work. Obviously, it makes it easier and even more fun when you're having success. But there's just a lot of good people that we've got here at uh, Coastal Carolina. And you can tell that it, it really shows that uh, uh, when you guys play, you know, you can tell the players care about each other and love the coaches and everything. And, you know, that translates really well on the screen and. So like, and, and you could see it from afar. So I can only imagine what it's like working in that, in that building. So, but you mentioned the staff's been together. Um, how did you get to hook up with them? What's kind of your journey getting into getting to coastal Carolina and where you're at today? 
So I went to uh, I signed with Clemson out of high school. I remember that. I was there. I was there for yeah. I was there for three and a half years, and I was there during um, the transition from Coach Tommy Bowden to uh, Dabo Sweeney. So I was there during during those days. Um, and uh, when I got my degree, I graduated, and I had gotten beaten out by a, a guy um, at quarterback. So I knew I wasn't going to be the star there. So when I, I it, it was important for me to get my degree from there because I started going to Clemson games when I was 10 years old in fourth grade. So that was important to me, but I also wanted to play, wanted to compete. And um, I ended up playing my last two seasons at North Greenville University. I had two years of eligibility left. So when I got my degree from Clemson, I made my way to North Greenville University. And our and the head coach I played for is uh, Jamie Chadwell. And that's our head coach here at Coastal Carolina. So I played for him for two years. And I spent one year, uh, that was 2010, 2011. I spent one year, 2012, trying to get a GA, get an analyst, get a coffee runner, get any job anywhere to get into coaching. I, I realized that's what I wanted to do. Um, and so I spent that year kind of training middle school and high school quarterbacks and receivers and really just waiting on that opportunity to come to to get into coaching. And, and then thankfully, um, Coach Chowell gets the head coaching job at Charleston Southern University in 2013, and he has an opening on the staff. So I, I get the opportunity to uh, begin coaching there in 2013. So I coached the receivers at Charleston Southern for four years from 13 to 16. And then Coach Chowell and I came to Coastal Carolina together uh, in 17 and 18, again, as the receivers coach. And then Coach Chowell became the head coach here in 2019. And so when he became the head coach, um, I bumped over to coaching quarterbacks and, um, and, and, uh, I'm a co-offense quarter now with our running backs coach, uh, Newland Isaac. So he is, uh, you know, he played quarterback and coached quarterbacks all these years. And so when he got promoted, I finally got the call from the bullpen to, to begin working with quarterbacks, uh, uh in 2019. That's awesome. Now, before we talk about the current staff structure, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask about Joe, is it Mowgli or Moglia? Uh, Joe Moglia. Tell us a little bit about him. This is a really fascinating story. Yeah, it, it really is. So um, I'm, I'm sure probably some, most people have, have, have heard his name, but, um, you know, he was a football coach originally back when he first, uh, you know, started his, you know, uh, uh, career. He went, he was a, um, a high school football coach and then became a college football coach. And, and um, he didn't, he wanted to, he didn't want to have to move away from his family. Uh, he had three young children. And so instead of uh, continue, continuing to, um, you know, go after job after job in the college coaching ranks, he goes into the business world and, you know, fast forward, he becomes the CEO of TD Ameritrade. Um, you <laughs> know, just a, yeah, not bad. Right. Um, and so he did that. I think he was in the business world for you know, over 20 years. And then uh, he got back into coaching after a successful stint in the business world. And, and uh, I think he served as like an analyst for a year or two at Nebraska. Um, and then he became the head coach at Coastal Carolina in 2012. And so when Coach Chow and I came over in 2017 and 2018, uh, Coach Mugley was the head coach here still. And uh, he started, and Coach Chow became the inter, interim head coach in 2017. Coach Joe was dealing with some health issues. But um, in 2018, he was back. So I, I had uh, one year uh, coaching some wide receivers for him. And, and the biggest thing I learned from Coach Joe was um, – you know, his, his mind works, uh, you know, very differently compared to most other uh, football coaches just because he was he's out of it and he, and he just sees it from a different perspective. So the, the example I've got for that is this was one of my first spring practices 
in 2017. And, uh, you know, anytime uh, you, you're a, a new coach on a new staff, uh, obviously, you know, I mean, regardless of what the situation, you're trying to do the best you can do. But especially in that situation, you're trying to, okay, I want to <laughs> show these guys I know what I'm doing. I'm prepared. Right. I'm, I'm ready to go. And, uh, man, I, I spent like, you know, f- four or five days putting, you know, practice plan together, individual and, uh, and all that. So anyways, we, we get done with one of our first practices and we go to the staff meeting after that practice. And, uh, coach Joe would always have this black notebook. He would, you know, carry around with them at practice and he would just, just, you know, copiously just taking note after note after note. And I remember, um, going into that staff meeting and when he opens up that clip, that, that notebook, you're just kind of you're you're kind of hoping that your name doesn't come up because it's usually not a good thing. It's usually <laughs> some type of critique <laughs> of some sort. So he opens up the notebook and he's flipping through pages and he's like, uh, you know, he talks to this coach, talks to that coach, and he says, "Willie," I said, "Oh crap! All right, yes, sir. Um, how many how many uh, catches did your receivers? How many footballs did your receivers catch today?" And I was, you know, I had no idea. So, uh, I threw out some number. Uh, in my individual, I'll say uh, fifteen, coach. Well, I was watching your individual, and you had one line of receivers going. If you would have made two lines of receivers going during that drill and had another receiver throw those receivers, they would have caught um, two times the amount of catches they would have had today. And over the span of a week, that's 25 more catches. And over the span of a month, that's – and he starts, like, calculating numbers like he's Rain Man. You know, he's just, like uh, – he's, like, you know, compounding on all the information he's giving you. And so, uh, I mean, it makes total sense, you know. So it, it really made a huge impact on me just trying to be – as efficient as humanly possible with the, you know, the small amount of time that you get with your players. And, um, and so he was always really good at, at that. And, you know, having, you know, having a, um, an overall uh, view and perspective, maybe not, he's not going to coach you up necessarily on the technique that you're teaching, but just how you structure your practice and trying to be efficient with time and get the most out of your time. He was really good at that. So I just, I'll never forget that story because, I was, you know, a little, little nervous, a little excited, you know, trying to impress everybody. And then boom, first staff meeting, Hey, Hey dummy, make sure you got more than one line going, you know? Um, but, um, so yeah, so we got to work for him for, you know, for a couple of years and then, um, and then, you know, our staff, you know, one of the coolest things about our staff, and it, I think it's really, really unique. I don't know if, how, how often you see this across, you know, division one college football, but this staff's been together for a really long time. So, Jamie Chad was the head coach um, at North Greenville. Out of that, uh, out of our current staff that is still with Coach Chad, well, Chad Staggs, our defensive coordinator, was at North Greenville back in 2009. Wow. Newland Isaac, our co-offensive coordinator, coached running backs back then. Skylar McGee, our D-line coach, um, coached D-line for him back then. Uh, and then uh, Malcolm Dixon, our uh, tight ends coach, played quarterback for Coach Chad with Charleston Southern. Uh Josh Miller's been with us since Charleston, our special teams coordinator. Chad Scott, our strength coach, has been together since 2013. So there's there's a there's a lot of guys that have been together for such a long time. And and just going back to what you said uh, at the beginning, you you could see a group of guys that loved each other and played for each other and cared about each other. That's a that's a, a direct reflection of two things. First of all, it's it's um, I think it's because you've got a staff that's been together and there's not a lot of egos on the staff. People right. care about each other and they don't need the, the pats on the back or the, you know, or anything like that. It's all about the team. And I think that reflects on the player. And ultimately the players have to buy into that and, and really, um, believe in that. And they do, we've got a, a, just a great group of uh, seniors that have, have taken that team to, um, to play that way and go about their business that way. But I think it's, um, I don't think you just get that when you just piece together, 
um, you know, a group of guys that from all over that don't have a lot of experience. Like we've been around each other a long time and we've got each other's back and, and ho- yeah, hopefully that, that doesn't always translate automatically to, to wins, but I think it's a, a big driving force in the culture that coach Chow has created uh, here within our locker room. That's incredible. Having Joe Mowgli teach about efficiency is like having Ray Kroc from McDonald's teach how to make a hamburger. That's <laughs> You're pretty, 100% right. That's pretty crazy. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure you learned a lot more than ball from him. That's incredible. Now, do you know when he did that 20 years where he was just with TD Ameritrade, was he like a volunteer high school coach or was he completely removed from the game? I, I'm pretty sure he was completely removed from the game. And, um, I don't think he really did much of it at all. Um, and I think there was a group of group of people that um, I can't remember exactly what, how he got back into it at Nebraska. Um, I, don't, I can't remember what the exact connection is there. Um, but obviously he always had a passion for it because that's what he did before he went. He wasn't just right. a guy that worked on Wall Street and was like, oh, I'll try coaching college football. You know, it, he, was, he was a guy that had a passion uh, for coaching football, for developing young men. Uh, I think his – I correct me, you know, you might have to correct me on this, but I'm pretty sure his last coaching job before he went to work on wall street was he's a defensive coordinator at Dartmouth. I think that was his last job. So he's coaching the Ivy league and, and then he went into the business world. So this isn't a guy that just kind of walked off the street and said, I'll try coaching football. Um, this is a guy that that's what he saw. That's what his true passion was. His last stop was at Dartmouth in 83. He was a defensive coordinator was his last season. 83 was before I was born. That's insane. Yeah. Then he was an assistant uh, for Nebraska for two years and then the Omaha Nighthawks. Wow. That's incredible. That's, right. yeah. That's a really cool yeah. story. Um, and, and I'm sure you guys learned a lot in terms of building or, an organization, rather. That's just pretty cool. Now, let's talk about your offensive staff and how it's structured now. You know, what are your responsibilities during the week and then on game day? Okay. So, responsibilities during, during the week. And, and I think, um, you know, we, Coach Isaac, our, our uh, running backs coach, Newland Isaac, our co-offensive coordinator, again, he's a guy that, that we've been together for, since 2010, been together for a, a long time and worked together for a long time. He and I, you know, just the last couple of years, we feel like we weren't um, as efficient during the week as we, we could as we could be. And we've really, we worked hard and had a lot of conversations of trying to, like, how can we really um, give everybody on our staff ownership um, because that's important, you know, because you've got a, a, a group of guys, regardless whether it's a position coach or a G or analyst, you got a lot of guys, a lot of good ideas. How do we maximize that? But we also don't, um, you know, spend too much time, you know, uh, appropriately on, on, on task at hand. And, and, you know, your game plan process can really get kind of strung out if, uh, if it's not structured with, with some intent and with some thought process behind it. So, uh, so my responsibilities, uh, specifically during the week. So Sunday, um, you know, we review the previous week and then when we get done, uh, with reviewing the previous week's game plan, coach Isaac and I begin working on the normal down and distance game plan. So we put together, uh, all of our favorite first and second down calls. Um, you know, we're going through, we're watching it together. He and I and Tyler Keene, our grad assistant are watching, you know, whatever four or five games that we've gotten the breakdown on our upcoming opponent. Um, you know, we're going through every single formation. We're going to watch every single formation um, just to see if there's specific pictures that we like. One thing that's unique about running this offense is not everybody runs this offense. So you're not 100% sure sometimes going into a game how someone is going to choose to defend you. Sometimes you'll get a different picture just because, you know, teams are going to defend you a little bit differently than because of the 
option concepts concepts that we run, teams might defend you a little bit differently. So we're going to go through and we're going to watch every single formation and uh, and see if there's a specific what pictures we like the most. You know, our game plan and process go is number one players starts with that. Who are my best players? Who I have to make sure touches the football and often. Uh, and so it comes down to that first of all. Who who are our best players? And then second we're going to go with what are the best formations for us? What are the cleanest looks, cleanest pictures for us to build attack and defense from? And then the third is what specific plays. Um, so that's kind of like the process that we, um, that we use when we're putting that first and second down game plan together. So that's what we're working on on Sunday. And that's probably, you know, sun, Sunday afternoon, Sunday evening, uh, most of Monday. And then typically on Tuesday morning is when we'll present to the staff uh, the script for that Tuesday practice, your big meat and potatoes practice, the Tuesday mornings when we're going to present the staff, hey, these are the formations we like the most. We're going to show you the pictures, and these are the play concepts we like the most. And while we're working on that, everybody else has a specific role that they're working on, a specific uh, situation they might be working on. You'll probably want to ask, uh, get into that more in a second. Um, and so first second down, down game plan up until uh, Tuesday, uh, Wednesday, we will uh, do third down and start to do a little bit of the field zone stuff. And then Thursday is where we'll really get into uh, specific strike mode. That's 40-yard line and in for us, red zone 25 and in, hot zone 10 and in, and goal line. And uh, uh, so that's my biggest, uh, uh, you know, the, the, what I spend the most time is our first and second down game plan. But obviously, I'm, I'm watching all the other situations and – really trying to narrow everything down. And I think one of the biggest things that Coach Isaac and I would say that we do uh, is make sure, because we didn't feel like we did a very good job of this in 2019, of making sure that that call sheet is shrunk down and as clean as possible. And uh, when we looked at some of our call sheets this year uh, of just what calls we wanted to carry into a game, someone we look at it like, whoa, that's pretty that's pretty light. We're not accustomed to seeing that few calls because we would look at it from 2019 and there'd be just – a lot of calls on there, you know, right. and it's not because there's not a lot of good ideas. There's a ton of great ideas, but I can't practice all these. I can't get my, my guys to, uh, our players to feel like they can execute at a high level and be confident in it. And so I think that's one of the best things that we've done from 19 to 20, uh, is really, really trying to be, uh, protecting that call sheet, you know, making sure it's clean and that we don't have too much extra stuff on there. You know, uh, I think a big part of it is you want to be creative and you want to, um, have wrinkles from week to week, but, um, but you gotta be wise with that too, because what ultimately players formations plays, what, what, what can my best players, what can they execute at a high level over and over and over again? Um, and then, so, uh, on game day, I'm in the box and, um, I'm calling out down in distance for coach Chadwell. And then, um, you know, we have, uh, people in the box that are specific to, you know, we're very detailed with, with our game day communication and with what everybody's watching uh, from the press box, we'll even do like a game day simulation. Um, you know, during fall camp, we'll take a day where the guys that are in the box are in one room and the guys that are on the field are in another room within our building. And we're watching the same cut up and we're communicating and, and working on, hey, what is everybody responsible for watching and and kind of making sure we're training our eyes to what we're what we're looking for on game day. That's a great and idea. I like that it, a lot. That was that that was a coach coach Joe thought that was a, that was one of his ideas. Coach Moglia, he he said, you know, uh, communication is so important on game day, and it can be the difference between winning and losing sometimes. And and how often do you actually practice it? Do you only do it the twelve times where the bullets are live, and 
And if you're doing that, you're probably putting yourself, uh, you're probably taking your, you're probably taking a week or two to really get into, you know, mid season form. So it's been great for us. It really is. And I think it really, um, clarifies what everybody's role is and it gives them opportunities to get some practice at it because you've got, you know, you've got some guys that are student assistants that are, that are up there that maybe don't have the experience. So they get some opportunities to see, you know, what, what information do I need to get from you that I can relay to the head coach, those types of different things. So, um, so, um, so yeah, so that's, uh, that's kind of what my, the gist of my week looks like. And then on game day, what it looks, like. obviously it's a lot more than that, but that kind of gives you a rough overview. All right. Be real with me. Coach Joe, did he give some badass stock tips? You know, I think he, he, I, you know, he always used to call us blockhead football coaches. So oh. I think that he didn't, he didn't want, he didn't even, you know, go into it. Now, if you went into his office and wanted to have a, a real conversation about it, he would, he would talk to you about that stuff, but you can't just come in and say, Hey, what, what should I, you know, invest in, you know, cause he'll, 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 he'll if, if you haven't done the research, he's not going to, you know, meet you halfway. But if you've gotten some research, hey, I want to talk to you about this, he would definitely uh, have those conversations awesome. with you. <laughs> so we had, when I was at Millsaps College, a small liberal arts school in Jackson, Mississippi, we had yep. a senior named Will Derrick, and he apparently was a finance guru when his dad was a finance guru. And Will was an easy target. He was kind of goofy, great kid, awesome kid, but he was he was an easy target. And, and our head coach was actually our D-line coach. And he used to wear Will out in practice. I promise this is going somewhere. He used to wear Will out in practice. And there was one day <laughs> after practice, I'm walking off the field. And uh, Coach Aaron Pelch is now the athletic director at Millsaps, goes, hey, Will. I need to talk to you about something. He sounded like really pissed. I was like, oh, shoot. And so I was trying to scurry away because I didn't want him to think I was eavesdropping. I was like picking up bags and stuff. He goes, let's go up in the stands. I'm like, oh, God, I need to get out of here. I need to get out of here. And so Pelch just looked really serious. And uh, Will kind of looked a little afraid. He was like, oh, God. So they, they're, I'm like trying to beat him up to when they go have their conversation. But I wasn't fast enough. And so... Coach Pelch looks at Will and says, hey, I need some stock tips. <laughs> and Will's like so relieved. I'm like trying not to laugh. And Will goes, I got three words for you, coach. Buy Greek debt. I'm like, all right, I'm leaving Dell. <laughs> so I can just imagine some of the crazy co stuff that Coach Shimoglia would tell you uh, if you ask that question. But in all seriousness, getting back to that weekly ownership. How did you split that up amongst the coaches? What was each coach's responsibility? Let's see. Okay, so Malcolm Dixon, our coach, was responsible for watching strike mode and red zone. So, again, strike mode for us is the 40-yard line to the 25, and we call it strike mode because that's where, where we're really going to be really aggressive going for it on fourth down, and we have some rules in place where, um, you know, if it's, if it's fourth and one from the 40 to the 30, we're, we're going for it. Now, when you say they're they're responsible for that area, are they just giving you? Are they scouting that area, telling you what the opponent's doing? Are they actually coming up with the plays? Are they just like how how does that process work? A little, little bit, a little bit of both. And um, okay. so he's he's basically he, they would basically each person is responsible for these uh, situations. I'm going to tell you about is going to give us a presentation. So he's going to have a he's going to have video clips to go with why he likes certain calls. Um, you know, Malcolm's going to start that off with, 
here are the percentages of middle open versus middle close, man versus zone, uh, blitz, all those different things. And really what you're trying to look through there is where, where does the defense change? Where's the defensive coordinator? Where does that blitz percentage go up? Where does the percentage for man go up? And that's really what you're looking for. Because a lot of times structurally it's not going to change a ton. Um, but usually there's a yard line where that, that defense coordinator is going to start to blitz a little bit more. So that's really what we're looking for. But he's going to give you that at the beginning. And then he's going to go through and, and give you what calls he really likes in that situation. And, um, and so Malcolm did a good job with that. And, you know, we didn't take every single one. You know, we took the, the ones that were the, the best ones. And I think that's part of, of, uh, of getting better at your job and, and being efficient and trying to make sure you're, you're protecting that call sheet to make sure it doesn't, get, it doesn't end up having too many calls. Because I can only rep so many calls during the week. Um, so you're taking the best ones. And really you're trying to um, – what he did a really a much better job of kind of the second half of the season is he's really trying to take what what plays we have on the normal down game plan, first and second half calls, that f- carry over into that, you know, situation, that part of the field. Oh, yeah, I really like this play action. This would actually be a really good call once you get across the 40-yard line or, or, or so on and so forth. So so he would do that. So he's from the 40 to the, uh, to the 11 um, and really just kind of, yeah, g- making suggestions on calls and what to expect from the defense. And um, so he would be responsible for that. Coach Durkin, Bill Durkin, was responsible for a third and short. So third and one, third and two. Um, and we would get to that typically first thing Wednesday morning, sometimes Tuesday evening if we get through practice uh, tape. Does that also include fourth down? Um, yeah, he would throw fourth down clips in there. Okay. And, you know, uh, and he's giving you, based off the pictures that we're seeing, based off the, the structure of the defense we're seeing, what, what his favorite calls are. And he's going to show you the clips. Now, this might be a dumb question, but, you know, you're, you're in the 35-yard line, which is one coach's responsibility, and then the other coach is responsible for third one. Does the third one coach supersede the coach that's working on that field position? Because third and one is third and one. Yes, sir. Yep. That, okay. uh, the, the third down situation kind of overrides the what uh, field zone it's in. Got it. So he would. So third one on the 25 yard line, that would be in Coach Durkin's uh, cut up. Got it. Um, our, we had um, uh, one of our analysts, Adrian Bernori, um, just took, uh, I don't know if it's been announced yet, but he's just took a grad assistant job at Syracuse. So we're super pumped up for him. Um, he was responsible for uh, our goal line. Uh, plays that we liked that week, what we expected to get, what plays that he liked. And then he would be also responsible for the hot zone. What we consider the hot zone was 10-yard line to the three. So if 10 and in, he would be responsible for that. And so when I say responsible for that, I'm not saying, okay, you guys are on your own. Give me your plays from the 10 and in, and whatever you say, we're, we're rolling with it. We're doing those exact plays. It just I, I just want them to spend some time and, and say, hey, what, what things do you really, really love? What do you really like here? And again, you know, we're still going to watch those things together. Maybe not every single clip, but we're going to watch the majority of the clips, the formations that they really like, the pictures they really like, and we're going to talk through and see if there's, you know, um, maybe something better that, that Coach Chowell likes better in that third and one situation or uh, a throw on the 10-yard line that Coach Isaac likes a little bit better. We're still going to watch these things, but right. at least you got somebody that's already done most of the, the legwork on what to expect. Here are the things they like. Uh, again, just trying to be as efficient as possible because, again, before in 19, um, I'll, I'll, I'll wait to the end. I'll tell you how we did it at 19. I think it's just been a lot more efficient, a lot, a lot better for us. Uh, let's see. Uh, Tony Washington, our receivers coach, he was responsible for coming up with best formations for easy throws, easy, simple rhythm throws. 
that you feel like you got a high percentage shot of, of a completion. Get the quarterback into a rhythm. You know, good second and long calls. You feel like you're going to have some easy quick game throws. So he was responsible for easy throws and also shot plays. Um, and he's watching watching through all the different uh, cut-ups. What does this team consistently struggle to cover? What route concept do they get beat on? Uh, what specific defender struggles uh, on, on this shot play, this specific route? This, you know, he's always looking for common trends that this defense is, um, has, has given up a lot. Or, and sometimes it might be like a, a, a specific, hey, this, I really like this shot play just because of the picture they show you right here, the way that this tight split with the motion gets this type of leverage on the corner. So he's going to do easy throws and shot plays. Um, and then Cody Laducco, it's our uh, grad assistant, helped me with the quarterbacks. He's responsible for third medium and third long. And again, he's going to start the cut just like everybody's cut ups. It's all going to start the same way. Hey, here's what you expect to get. Here's what they do. Let me show you a couple of the clips. This is what we expect to get. This is the coverage you expect to get. And here, here's how I would like to attack them. Here's our my favorite plays. And Cody would present those. And maybe we, you know, we tweak it. We we try to hide it a different way. Maybe it's a route concept we throw a lot. We're going to try and disguise it a little bit. Um, or again, we might watch some of those clips and, and Coach Chow will might come up with, hey, you know what, I like this route concept better. So again, it's not like you're stamping, you guys do it and whatever you say goes, we're still going to end up doing it together but at least they present it and they give you kind of an overview as you start watching those specific situations. Um, and I think that's really it. So we got a section on the call sheet that's second and long and we'll just pull, you know, uh, the, the, our favorite easy throws from coach Washington's cut up. And then usually coach Chow was going to put his favorite second and long, uh, run on there, potentially a screen or, um, some type of RPO, um, and then Coach Chow was going to fill in the fourth down calls, fourth and fourth and one, fourth and two, because obviously those are those are big situations in the game, uh, all the way to fourth and three to five. You know what is what is go to route concept that we if you need a first down, what are you going to go to? So, um, and I think I think that's that's everything. So, um, and again, you know, you're constantly a, a big part of what I feel like uh, Coach Isaac and I do is uh, almost. I think you probably you, sometimes it feels like I've got an equal amount of uh, time invested into staring at an Excel spreadsheet as it is watching film because I'm just, we're just constantly looking through that call sheet and trying to make sure it's as clean as possible. You know, do I need to carry uh, this pass concept we really like out of three different formations or can I just pick the best one that you're going to be, you spend a lot of time in that matches up with the run game and really kind of clean it up that way. So we, we really try to, I think that's where we got a lot better. Coach Isaac and I got a lot better at our jobs compared to 2019, just really, really coming through. And really, um, sometimes when you, you know, we, we put all of our stuff in, in, in an Excel uh, spreadsheet, I'm sure just like everybody. But um, sometimes when you press delete, you know, sometimes it feels like you're like evaporating that play from the face of the earth. But it's, it's OK. You know, you can it's OK to do that. It's OK to take a call off there and clean it up and, and make that call sheet really lean, because I think your quarterback will play at a higher level. I think the execution of the offense will be uh, that much better. And if you can really tailor everything um, to where my base run plays um, and my, my favorite play action shots and as many of those easy throws are all off of that same formation, same picture, I think that's difficult to defend. You know, And it's the other thing that we have to do a good job of is, is trying to match up that backfield set uh, because we're, two, we're a 21 personnel offense. That's what we base out of. So we're going to have a lot of uh, two running back sets. So can I match up that? Um, that set, how they're lined up, whether it's pistol and offset or both offset, motion, shift, different things like that. Can I match that up to fit everything so it all looks the same 
from a presentation presentation standpoint to the defense. Absolutely. Now, when you say that each coach is responsible, and we've kind of gone through this, but when you said they're given ideas, is there a framework and what they have to work in? Does it have to be something that's established already in your offense or how much freedom do they have to say, okay, this is not a concept that we've done before, but I think it could work for us. Is it a sliding scale of, okay, this is new, but this is easy. So we can go ahead and do this rather than, you know, you're not going it, to, it's hard to put in a brand new triple option run scheme for a team. You know what I mean? Right. Obviously you don't want to, you want to stay away from that unless it's just something, you know, you're just going to kill someone in and it's like, Hey, this may have some carryover in future weeks, or this team's really good. And we need an edge or something like that. How do right. you, how do you guys choose from the menu that you already have built? Like how much of it is like, how, I guess how much of those ideas this year were completely foreign to what you guys already did, like pulling like, Hey, we don't do this, but this is really good or whatever. Uh, you know, we're going through the cutups right now. So, uh, we're, we're, uh, almost done with the pass game. We'll start the run game hopefully tomorrow. Um, but I think that's one of the things to answer your question first, how, is there like a, um, specific, how many new plays you can bring to the table? We haven't really talked about that. You know, like I, I think everybody's done a pretty good job of, of trying to present a wrinkle or two each week. Uh, you know, Tony will see a route concept that somebody runs and, um, and sometimes we add it, sometimes we don't. And, and um, I think it's more so on the RPO side and the pass concept side. I think that's a little bit easier to add something new rather than like what you're talking about, a, right. a, a new run concept. Now, a, a tag, an adjustment to a blocking scheme of something that you already run, if you're changing one guy, I think that's not as big of a deal. But I think it ultimately comes down to how easy is it to, to get done? You know, because it's – I remember like uh, when I look back at myself – uh, my first couple of years of coaching when I was working for Charleston Southern, you know, I'm, I'm wearing a different hat. I'm sitting in a different seat now, you know, but I remember, you know, just looking back and I would see somebody do this route concept and it was really nothing that matches up with what we do, but I know if we do it, it's going to be a great play. It's going to be a first down. It's going to be a touchdown. I would present it and I would show it to coach Chowell. I'm like, come on, we, we got to do this. And sometimes I would, you know, ultimately we might try it, but it doesn't get called on game day. It doesn't get used. And you think to yourself, man, that was why didn't he take my idea? You get almost a little bit defensive about it. Right. Well, well, my my idea is going to work, but now I see it from a different lens. You know, you got to look at it from the lens of your quarterback. Am I putting him in a good position if I, you know, if I do this route concept that, you know, showed up one time for somebody else that maybe runs that concept all the time, and um, and that's ultimately, you know, I think that's part of growing up as a coach. Like you don't just think about, you don't just watch somebody run a play one time. Like, hey, we could do that. Let's do it. Let's try it. Right. I mean, there's times to do that. There's times to do that during the spring and during the summer, but not on, you know, uh, Tuesday of game planning, you're getting ready for, for, uh, for an opponent. Um, and so that's where I've, I've, uh, now, you know, I think we do a great job of, of adding wrinkles and trying to be creative and trying to think of different ways to attack people. But I think everybody's on this, on the same wavelength because we said at the beginning of the year and we took out a lot of stuff from 19 to 20. That's the, that's the funny thing. Like we were, we're so much better uh, offensively this year compared to the, uh, to the year before, um, just from a, a stat standpoint. Um, and we really cut out a lot of stuff. Like we used to run a lot of power read. We took power read out, uh, we took wow. power out com uh, completely and, and we, and we became better. Um, there's a couple other, just little, little run game tags. When you got to the end of the year, 2019, you would look and you'd be like, okay, we ran this run play 
whatever, five times, you know, uh, and you think about how many times you repped it inside, how many times you did it in team, how many times you throughout the whole year, you've invested all this time and then you just don't run it, you know? So why don't we just take all those practice reps and invest in something, you know, you're going to run. So I think that's, um, and I think the, the coaches have been here on staff and they, they saw that. And, um, so I think everybody has that framework in their mind of, of trying to be creative, trying to come up and present new ideas, but also at the end of the day, understanding, okay, if it doesn't get called, um, I think we got a bunch of professionals on the staff. They don't, they don't get uh, defensive like, you know, first year me, you know, because <laughs> my route concept didn't it's get called, good, you know? Man. Yeah, yeah. I was known to pout a little bit when I was at Millsaps when my corner blitz wasn't put in. <laughs> I get it. Now, yeah. I kind of want to take a step back, you know, these conversations are fun, how they kind of wind around, but you know, I want to kind of hit the reset button in terms of your offense. You know, take the listeners through, for those of you who are, living under a rock or, you know, there's a lot of guys, especially on the West coast, they play on Saturdays. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when I was at Sarah high school for five years, 60, 70% of our games were on Saturday. So I didn't get to see a lot of college ball. Well, wow. and then in my league, you play on a Saturday, then you play on a Friday. So you have a short week. And so you didn't have time to go watch stuff. And for those guys who um, haven't seen you guys play and you've only heard a little bit, about you guys and you're getting ready to try to find the all 22 online because you keep hearing about the amazing job that my friend Willie Korn did and he want they want to be just like you <laughs> take the listeners through uh your kind of your overall offensive philosophy okay so we are we're a little bit different we're a little bit unique compared to uh a lot of teams throughout college football uh, these days. So we're, we're a 21 personnel team. That's what we base out of. And we're a spread option offense. Um, so probably the highest percentage of, of, uh, personnel grouping are going to be in is 21. And then it's probably a tie between 12 and 11. And then we'll run uh, 20 as well. Um, but we're going to primarily our, our highest percentage personnel grouping is 21 personnel. So, and so when I say <clears throat> spread option, I think when, when pe- people haven't watched us um, and they hear, you know, it's an option option football team, they think it's it's just, um, you know, we don't throw it much and it's just a triple option offense. But that option piece has really changed and morphed throughout the years. And, and really that option piece can, can absolutely mean uh, a triple option concept. It can mean a midline option concept. It can mean a speed or a freeze option concept. But that can also mean a, an RPO uh, concept, you know, so there's a different, a lot of different ways that we can attack teams um, w- with what that option piece means, whether it's, uh, like I said, it's in the run game, it's in, in the pass game with our RPOs. Um, and from a philosophy standpoint, you know, what, what we, what we've labeled our offense, our offensive name is we're, we're called Teal Team Six. And so that's all of our players recognize that and understand that Teal because our, our, colors are teal and black team because we're obviously focused on everybody within our program every role is important everybody has a job everybody's uh roles and important specific to this team and then six because every time we take the field we're, we're not settling for three we're trying to finish drives put it in the end zone that is fantastic by the you way like that teal like team that? six i thought it was gonna be <laughs> something related to mullets <laughs> it should it should get updated now since we've gotten so much like the coastal so. carolina mullet militia <laughs> it might change it might change after this year um I'm, I'm just excited to see how many we have next year we might have i think we're probably right around 14 to 15 guys on the team this year 
um, we we might see we might see more next year. I don't know. We'll see. But will we um, see Coach Willie Corns mullet make an appearance. You, you know what? I I did have a little baby mullet at the end of the year for That's the last fantastic. three weeks of the season. I would get a two on the side, and, and my wife cuts my hair. I got her to get give me a two on the side, and then she didn't touch the back. So it wasn't enough growth to notice it. Um, and so I got I got to look at the counter and see when um, when, when I need to begin that journey. Now I don't expect it to be like coach Gundy or anything, you know, but, um, but maybe a little cheddar out of the back of the ball cap would be pretty, pretty nice. You know, I, I had it, a, I had a, my, my girlfriend is a, is a former stylist and, uh, she was really bummed out. She, she, you know, she works at Disney and there was one night she was just bummed out cause you know, everything that was going on and she was furloughed and whatever. And I was trying for any reason, you know, she had the COVID blues and was trying to make her smile and was trying to make jokes and was wasn't working. So I said, I know it'll make you feel better. She says, what? And I said, you want to give me a mullet? I think she's the only one that felt better out of the whole situation. I, and then I let it go for like another two months. And it was, I was starting to do stuff with Huddle and Glazier. And I'm like, okay, I can't, I was on camera a lot. I was like, I, I can't do this anymore. So I had a little bit, I have a little bit of a quarantine mullet. So I, I feel that. But anyway. You're halfway there, man. You're you're halfway to becoming a Shauna Clear. That's like the first step. That is the first step. I, I feel like I should be an honorary <laughs> member. But uh, so anyway, sorry to cut you off about the serious business of your office with my mullet bullshit. <laughs> um, no, you're good. No, that's important. I, I, it, that was going to be my next uh, my next talking point. Uh, no, so and then we have uh, so ever ever since uh, you know Coach Shaw has been a, um, a head coach, he's always had a. Um, uh, you know, kind of a, a mission statement, purpose statement. Uh, he calls it what, what, what's your it. And so the offense has one, the defense has one, the special teams has one, the coaches have one. So uh, ours on offense is secure, punish, score. So every team, team meeting, he'll have, uh, you know, till six stand up, what's your it. And everybody says the same thing, secure, punish, score. And so um, I'll have the numbers in front of me, but uh, you know, 2019, I mean, it was just clear as day. I mean, it's, it's, it's stuff that you don't even really need to prove with, with stats, but it's always good to show to your players and have them understand why, you know, why do we do ball security drills every single day? Why are we coaching you so hard on, you know, you had a touchdown run, but we're, you know, in front of the whole offense, we're critiquing how you're carrying the football because it's important. And when we went, lost the turnover battle, we were like, oh, and oh, and four or oh, and five the year before when it was even, we were like, you know, two and two and two or two and one. I can't remember. And then the one we won the turnover battle, we're three and one. So I think anytime you can present those numbers and show them like, Hey, this is why it's important. You got to be able to do that. So that's that part punish. We're trying, that's the secure part, secure punish, punish. We're trying to at, at every single position, trying to be a physical, you know, team first selfless mindset. And, you know, I think everybody talks about those things, but what we try to do all the time. Anytime we can, we can find a clip. Like when we have a unit meeting, uh, after the um, after the game, we'll get together as an offense after your position meeting. You watch it with your position group, and then we'll have a quick five ten minute unit meeting as an offense. And we're not going to show the the highlight plays, the big you know fifty yard play action pass touchdown. Everybody knows that's a highlight play. We're going to go through and find the four or five clips where uh, you know our left guard is 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 burying somebody on the ground and then sprinting up and trying to find somebody else. So we're going to put a clip on there where your X receiver. You know, you get a 10-yard run, but it's because your ex-receiver sprints in there to dig out the free safety, those type things, and really trying to enforce that so everybody's – their peers are seeing that type of effort. And, and you're not just, you know, patting the guy on the back that, that made the big the big play, but just those those little, you know, selfless plays that show up and trying to really emphasize that. And then, obviously, we're trying to 
trying to score points. That really, really tied that into the red zone because the year before in 2019, we struggled in the red zone and, and um, you know, settled for too many field goals, all that stuff. So, over, that's us, man. We're a 21 personnel spread option team, teal team six, secure punish score. Um, and, uh, yeah, we, 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 we have a lot of fun game playing, man. I'll tell you that. We, we, it's, 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 it's fun. It's unique. It's creative. It's different. It's not what everybody else is doing. So I've gotten a lot of emails. I've gotten a lot of, a lot of texts. Hey, man, I'd love to study some of what you guys do. I'd love to learn a little bit more about what you do. And, and I think we're going to put together a, a, like a coach's clinic. You know, we've, we never had this type of, you know, um, uh, you know, promotion. I, you know, I, we haven't played this many games on, on national TV in a year. So you're getting a lot of uh, requests to, to learn more about you do. So, so we're going to put a, a coach's uh, clinic uh, together in, in March uh, for high school coaches and college coaches, whoever wants to be on to learn a little bit more about what we do, but it's not like you can take one little piece of it and, and, and do, it. I mean, this is a, this is a different style of offense, you know, and, and it's a lot of fun, but it's, it, you got to sell out for it. You know, it's not something you can do. I'll do a couple of those plays. I mean, it's, it's different. So, uh, but we have a lot of fun doing it. That's very cool. May need to come up for that clinic uh, provided COVID allows us to do so. Well, we're, we're going to do it all on Zoom um, oh, because we're we're, we're 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 our school. Yeah, it'll, it'll be easy that way, and and um, we're still piecing together how to do it. But yeah, we we just we never. I mean, we, I remember when we would do. Uh, it's funny because it's, it's the same offense we've been running since you know North Greenville, and uh, and just because you got so so many opportunities to play and so many people to see it play this year, there's so many people you got so many emails and it's it's super flattering um that that want to learn more about it so um i remember when we would have a <laughs> we put together a coaches clinic one year at charleston southern and i i think uh, we we did it at the hotel across the street and i think we may have had like five high school coaches there total like we had more of our staff there than actual coaches and um so uh so it's pretty cool to see there's a lot of people that would like to learn it and study it but um but again it's it's different it's a, it's a, it's a you can't just uh, throw a wrinkle in there. It's a different style of offense. Well, that is about to change, my friend. Believe me, there will be more than five people on that Zoom call. <laughs> uh, but, you know, outside of the service academies, you guys are carrying the flag for option football in my estimation and a lot of coaches. And I and I know the service academies won the triple, the flex bow and under center stuff. Uh, but I think that there was some real sadness amongst a lot of coaches when Paul Johnson retired at Georgia Tech. And although you guys aren't, died in the wool flex bone it's fun because i know a lot of option coaches love you guys for obvious reasons and i know a lot of spread guys that love you because of you know like you said you're not just an option team and i have a ton of questions how you practice that and we'll get there but you know where where did that influence where did that that option influence come from so that's that's a great question. So our, our head coach, Jamie Chadwell, he played at East Tennessee State University. Um, I can't remember how many, I think it may, it may have been the second half of his career, his last two year two years, Paul Hamilton becomes the head coach there who's um, who's an option football coach. So he did some option when he was in college. Uh, his first, and he, and he coached there, his first coaching job, he's a grad assistant there at East Tennessee State um, for a few years before they shut the program down originally. He gets an assistant coaching job at Charleston Southern University, and he works for Jay Mills, and they were throwing the ball all over the place. Had a quarterback by the name of Colin Drafts, had a fantastic college career there. Um, so throwing it all over the place, slinging, slinging the rock. He gets his first head coaching job at North Greenville, and this is uh, 2009. 
He knows that he's taken over a program that's struggled in recent years. He knows the program that it's a little bit behind the eight ball in terms of talent right now when he's first taken over. So he knows he has to do something different schematically on offense to offset um, the talent difference that was there at that time. And so he knew he's going to have to run some of uh, the option concepts that he that he ran in college. Um, so he, he spent a lot of time with uh, the coaching staff at Wofford, Wade Lang, uh, specifically offensive coordinator, and they learned a lot of of what they were doing at Wofford because they were a option football team and they were doing it some from the, from the gun. And coach Chow knew he wanted to run it from the gun because he still wanted to be able to attack people through the, through the air, throwing the football. And he knew if he was going to get the type of uh, quarterback recruits that he, that he ultimately wanted to get, he was not going to be able to go under center and run a, a true option offense. So, so he kind of put those two thoughts together and and it's morphed and it's molded and it's and it's and it's grown every single year just as football has grown since then and so that's where those influences come from and uh and it stayed it has stayed true now do we throw the football more now than we did maybe those first couple of years at charleston southern just because you know you feel like you're able to, to sign a quarterback you're able to sign skill guys where you feel like um you 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 can consistently win outside but we're not going to just major and drop back pass you know majority of our of our um, passes, I would say, are RPOs and, and play action, a lot of heavy play, uh, heavy play action team with uh, all the 21 personnel sets that we, that we show. Still have the ability, and probably quick game the next, you know, not a lot of, tr- a lot of straight dro- uh, drop back. You know, you can't, uh, you can't major at everything and be, and be great at everything. you got to major in what you're going to be good at. And, and, um, and so that's where those influences kind of come from. And, and so when I was in high school, I played at, at Burns High School in South Carolina. I played for a guy named Bentley. Um, and we were throwing the ball all over the place. We were throwing the ball, you know, 40, you know, 50 times a game. Um, and I had no, the only option that I knew, I knew speed option. That was about it when I played in high school. <laughs> and so I get to North Greenville and I'm, I'm running some triple, running some midline and trying to figure it all out. Um, you know, I, I had no idea what midline was. I didn't understand what it was. I kept, I thought I was, it was a triple option play, right? So I was thinking I was supposed to be reading the defensive end. So I'm looking at the defensive end and getting ear holed by a defensive tackle, you know, early on in those days of, I don't, I don't know what this is. Like This, this place is, sucks. You know, I don't, this some, place dead to me. Somebody's not doing their job. Yeah, you're, you're you know, MF in uh, the tackle and the tackle's it, like, I'm supposed to block out, it, guy. It, it, and it was me the whole time, you know, so, uh. But now, you know, so I played in this offense and now I've worked in it for eight years and I've just, um, man, I, I just, I love it. I love what it, what it allows you to do. I love how, um, you know, you know, we got a lot of, uh, attention for our offensive line this year. Our offensive line coach, Bill Durkin did just an unbelievable job. They, that group of that starting five was, uh, a finalist for the Joe Moore award. Um, and we had a five, nine, two eighty five center. Uh, you know, that, that played, played his tail off. We had a, a left guard, uh, true freshman, um, that's probably right at six foot, six one. So we're able to, and our tackles are probably right at six, three, six, four, somewhere in there. Um, right guard has, has been a, a, a four year starter who's probably six foot, six one, something like that. So, but they play with just unbelievable effort and toughness and they play pissed off and, and so what we're able to do, you know, you can't just sit with, with, with what we have, you know, with the, the types of guys that we're able to sign and get and the types of guys that we want. We want those guys that, that are just freaking pissed off and play with a relentless effort. What we do in offense allows you to play with those guys and not just say, oh, I need a, you know, the, the 6'5", 6'6", 275 tackle out of high school. You know, we're typically not going to get that guy. So we got guys that fit our system, that want to be a part of the system, that love playing in the system and, um, 
man, it's been, been a lot of fun trying to come up with different ways to try and attack people. But that's where those influences kind of come from, uh, from his um, playing days to where he first started taking over as a head coach. I bet Nate Woody was pissed when uh, he had to go against you guys when he was at App State, and he realized that uh, the guys at Wofford, uh, he was there at Wofford, right, when you, when Coach would go visit? Uh, he, he probably would have. Yeah, I'm not sure on the uh, timeline. He's but I'm like, sure thanks he, he, a he was... lot. <laughs> So let's talk about what are your top three run concepts you would say from this year? Who, uh, let's see. I would say probably it would be, um, we ran a lot of our freeze counter option type stuff. I don't know if total number of plays, but you know, we're, we'll get to the numbers here in the next couple of days as we're going through our cutoffs. But as far as like yards per play, that's probably going to be way up there. Um, we run a lot of belly G that's one of our, one of our direct runs that we run a lot of. Um, and then everything else is off of our, our pistol, um, you know, inside zone, uh, type concept. And, and so that, that has, that's a lot of different ways we can run that play. You know, we run it as a true triple option play where you're reading the DN pitching off the overhang, but we also run that same run concept with all of our RPOs, you know, so we're, you know, um, RPO and a uh, free safety, uh, strong safety to work a glance or a speed out or RPO and uh, the overhang to the field, be able to work a hitch or an out concept. So uh, those are probably the three main concepts that we run. As a high school, well, it's done a little bit of college, but as a longtime high school coach, uh, I appreciate the belly G. It's fantastic. Actually, not many people run it. No, they don't. And uh, when you see it, it uh, it uh, it hurts you. And uh, funny enough, freeze option. The guy that gets credited a lot, George DeLeon at Syracuse, who supposedly invented the play. I don't know if that's correct or not, but I, that's what I've heard. He did it at Syracuse, and they had Marvin Graves and McNabb and all that. Mm-hmm. Fun fact: uh, I sat next to his wife on my first trip to AFCA, and anybody that knows me uh, knows I'm terrified of flying. And I was like white knuckling and freaking out. We were in some really bad weather. And this very nice woman was just very kind to me. You could see I was just upset and like trying to calm me down. And I felt like uh, I, I was like so nice. Like, God, oh, this lady is so nice. And then she told me her husband was George Dayland. I was so embarrassed. She's like, what's your name? I'm like, Chris Master. And like ran away because I didn't want, <laughs> I didn't want There's this. There's this. A freak that uh, is getting upset that there's a little bit of turbulence because I turn into a basket case on an airplane. It's funny. My dad worked for Delta since I was six years old. I think I'd be used to it. I flew all over the country. Wow. I hate flying now. I hate it. And so, yeah. So I got to sit next to the godfather of freeze options wife and she probably thinks I'm a nut job. But uh, so let me talk to you about the zone. A lot of questions. I think when people see a team like you that run zone and they see option, they're automatically skeptical. Is that really zone? Are they really running zone? Or is it more man-based, you know, option, old, I'm doing air quotes, you know, old school option man blocking like you see with Veer teams. So yeah. how how are you doing that? Is it traditional zone? Or are you running more man-based Veer schemes with it? It's, it's more man-based Veer schemes. It's more vertical. It's not like a horizontal, you know, uh, type movement up front. It's more of a vertical uh, type push. Now, some of those double teams become, they, they look like zone, but it's more of a man, uh, principle, um, rather than, than zone up front. And, um, and like I said, that, that, um, that's 
day one install that goes in and that goes in as, as your, 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 um, you know, your day one, your triple option concept where you're reading the DN, you're pitched off the overhang, but really that run, uh, concept up front with different tags becomes a lot more than that, but it becomes a lot of the same thing for the O-line. They're blocking that same, the same rules over and over and over again. You're just changing one guy. You're changing the tackle instead of climbing up to the mic. He's, right. he's basing the DN and you're ISO on the mic and you're running your RPOs that way, you know, or, um, you know, you're getting that same side, uh, zone type play where you're getting a tackle and the tight end to combo a DN up to the mic, you know? So you're really only changing like one guy, um, when you're running some of the RPOs off of it and some of the directs off of it. Yeah. Um, and I said direct, just, you know, not reading anybody and just hand it off, a, off an ISO play or, um, you know, just a direct run. Um, but that's the day, that's the first one that goes in, um, in the spring and, um, and you, you put it in as a triple option, but it just becomes so much more than that. And I think probably, you know, it'll, it'll be a lot more RPOs that are ran off of it or directs than at the actual option play off of it. Really our option stuff is much more, like I said, at the beginning, it's really, it's a lot more freeze counter, not a lot of speed option anymore as, as we used to run it a little bit more, but we don't just don't run it a ton anymore just because it's hard for your tackles to get up to those backers. Um, and uh, when they're just turning on and taking off and, and scraping right now um, and midline, you know, different, different uh, uh, tags off of uh, midline option, which um, those are all been, been good ways to get the ball out on the edge, get the ball out on the perimeter for us. Now you said that you're, you're, the physical part. So, so the physical footwork and everything is more man based, but when you're teaching your lineman, is it, are you teaching it like zone or are you using, are you using the old count system? Like you get in the old veer stuff where you've got one, you've got two, you were, we're pitching off a of four or we're reading three pitching off a of four. I, I don't, can you tell him a defensive guy? I think I've done a pretty good job. This, this, this interview, not tipping my hand that I'm a defensive coach. <laughs> we used to play the, the reason I know and I'm probably you guys are laughing guys are probably laughing you're about to say you you know this stuff you don't know idiot but we played De La Salle uh, high school uh-huh. out in uh, Concord every year and they're probably the most famous veer team maybe them and JT Curtis but uh, so I read like three or four books in the veer and here I can't even remember the the counting system but are you are you going off that count system or is it more of your traditional covered, uncovered zone? You're blocking fronts, you know, rule blocking rather than numbering guys. Yeah. More rule blocking, more covered, uncovered rather than, than counted out number based. And, um, and just when you watch the O line, it's just when I, when I was talking earlier about zone versus man, I just, you're not going to see that. Like when you watch Georgia Southern, it's, it's truly zone up front. It is zone right. option. And they are, they are accounting for that, that overhang, that free safety, you know, they're pushing all the way out there. We're not going to push out to that, that overhang into the boundary when we're, when we're running our, our zone stuff to the field. Um, so, so I, it's hard to talk about it over a, over a, a podcast, probably a little bit easier to show it if we were watching some tape, but, uh, but yeah, not, not a number account system, more of a, you know, understand the look based off the front. Uh, more veer man type principles. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, so I noticed that you were arcing your tackles a lot. Is that something that you do normally? Or is it one of those things where if you get four eyes or, or like a bare front with a loose end that you'll kind of do, or is it something that you like and, and say a certain play versus any front? You know, that's 
kind of part of the are. You know, we, we, we like being able to, to get that extra hat out there on the perimeter. And, um, you know, op- option football coaches, you, you, uh, everyone, you, every play you draw up on the board, it's a touchdown play. Cause you got a hat on everybody, right? You know, you're not, that you're not often trying to, uh, leave somebody unaccounted for, you know, sometimes we will, when we're running just a straight midline play where, right. you know, the d- deepest defenders got to come down and make a tackle. But if we can get that extra hat on the perimeter with the tackle arcing out, we love doing that. And part of what we, why we love doing this, because one of the ways that people try to defend you is they try to not everybody, but you, you'll, you'll see it. You know, you always got to be prepared for it. You never know when it's going to come, but your receivers and, and just us uh, from a game plan standpoint, always got to be prepared for people trying to shoot their corners, you know, from a defensive standpoint and get that corners, the extra hat and shooting in there to play for your perimeter run game stuff. Oh yeah. Do it all and the so, time. Yeah. It, and it makes it tough. You know, if I'm, if I'm playing us, I, I would, I would do that. It makes it difficult. But part of what, you know, a thought process of trying to, uh, of handling that is, you know, obviously you can try and, uh, you know, if you're pitching off the overhang, you can make it a double team outside where your outside receiver and your inside slot can can double team that corner and work up to the safety. But sometimes that's not very clean. And sometimes the matchup isn't great just because the spacing is difficult. But if you can arc out a tackle and put a tackle on in the corner, you love that. You know, if you watch the BYU game, that's what ended up happening, um, you know, a couple different times on that play where we run in midline, we're arcing out the tackle and, and we're sending that tackle out to the corner. And you, you love, obviously you love that matchup. Another different way of trying to get to is trying to lead up on a corner with the running back. And, and we get that with, um, with our counter option, our freeze option stuff, where you get that extra hat out there on the perimeter on the corner with a running back. Or like I said, if you are a tackle, you get a tackle out there. And you know, the difficult part about that is now your slot receivers having to make that block on, on an overhang, you know, and, and those guys did a good job of handling that. But you gotta be wise with your personnel groupings at that point. You know, sometimes yeah. you gotta, you know, like I said, we're a 21 personnel team, but that doesn't mean that tight end's always going to be in the box or in the line. You know, our, our tight end number four, Isaiah Likely, is, is going to be is 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 a heck of a player. Going to be playing after college. Uh, he stays healthy, all that different stuff. So we use him in a lot of different ways. We line him up as the as the split X. We'll line him up as a tight end and then shift him out and line him up as the single X into the boundary. We'll line him up as the slot receiver to the field. But just going back to from a personnel standpoint, being wise with how you you personnel everything out. You know, if that's an overhang, you're worried about making that block. You've got to put the right guy in the position to be able to make that that uh, block on top of him. So, you know, a lot of times we'll put that bigger body out there, but we don't feel like we're giving the play away because we'll throw all of our our base play action concepts off of that too. We'll throw scissors off of that. Um, you know, we'll throw um, um, you know your your out with a hook route uh, play action off of that too. So we don't feel like we're giving anything away if we if we line that tight end up outside to the field to be able to block that overhang it's great stuff man do you ever get the uh the corner he sees that tackle coming on the oh my god i just pulled my hamstring and go down move <laughs> is that one thing you see a lot I, of? I haven't I haven't seen it a ton you know to, you know you don't the ones you remember in your mind are the ones where you know you don't make the block and the, the guy blows the play up you know those are the ones you, you that, that that haunt you still sometimes you know especially as being a former wide receivers coach Oh my God! I hate to be on the headset anytime we got a corner shoot and my freaking receivers didn't see it. You know, didn't didn't double team them. You know, so now from a game planning standpoint, I'm still I'm still shell shocked of coaching the receivers and not picking that up. So I'm constantly, you know, making sure reminding Tony, hey, our receivers coach Tony, you make sure we're good, ready for a cover two, that corner shooting. Even though nobody's, you know, team you're playing's never shown it, you've always got they'll they'll throw that in. Now sometimes that's just a uh, something you expect to see. 
Yeah. Well, then it's a, it's effective as you're saying. Now, when you're running the freeze counter option stuff, how are you teaching that quarterback footwork opening up away from the play? So when he opens up away from the play, you know, basically everything, um, and we've gone to more of a pistol alignment with our running backs uh, just this year or this past season, 2020. Before that, we didn't do any pistol stuff. Now we, we, we love it. You get extra ride time for the quarterback um, in the run game. You get extra ride time for the quarterback in the RPO game. And um, um, so we, we and it's the running backs love it. It's more downhill instead of coming across. So. Uh, they feel like they're able to see that backside cut a little bit easier. So everything that we've uh, that we've really kind of built the offense around is being in that pistol alignment. Um, and then so everything we're, for the most part, when we're in that, we're trying to get that quarterback to give that running back that midline going right down the crack of the center. And so everything kind of revolves around that. So uh, on the counter one, it's the same footwork. We're going to uh, step with our, our foot, our back foot, if we open up, to present the ball to the, to the running back, that back foot that's going to be towards the running back, we're just going to make sure we're going to kick off that midline so we're not pushing that running back off of the mesh on any of our inside uh, run game type stuff. And then, But when he opens up on the counter stuff, he's going to make sure that he's kind of like peeking to see that defensive end because you could, it doesn't typically happen when we play teams because typically defensive ends are going to try and squeeze off our tackles and then, and then really try to make you hand the football off if you're reading that defensive end. So we don't get a ton of where that defensive end is jetting up field right now. Um, but you still got to be aware of that guy. So he's going to try and and peek and and just feel that defensive end out of his perifs and um, and then go attack and get on his on his toes. We try to attack the inside shoulder pad uh, of any time we're attacking a, a pitch key, a DN or an overhang, and then we can flatten that angle out if that guy's trying to play in between and try to make the quarterback keep it. Um, and then the freeze option stuff where we open up towards them, that's, it's the same thing, same footwork. Make sure you give the, the running back the midline. Now we can be a little bit more disciplined with our eyes as far as keeping our eyes down right through the middle of the field um, because I can feel that defensive end if he is coming hot and get that ball pitched off of him. And, um, and so on all those plays, you gotta be, you got to have a check ready for edge pressure um, because on those plays, you, you're having your, your slot uh, handle that overhang. You could put the running back up. On the overhang, typically we like trying to pin it with the slot, crack with the outside guy, and like I said, have that running back lead up for the corner. We don't always do it that way. We could put the running back up on the spur, but you know we like the angles better. If we can pin that and get that ball pitched, we feel that that, that ball can really get out to the alley and, and really stretch and, and let those guys run. Uh, but you got to go into the game plan, with, and it changes week to week what we want to check to. Sometimes we're going to check to another run play. Um, if we're getting edge pressure, sometimes we're going to check the quick game. just kind of depends on – you know, what coverage you're expecting to get behind it. Are they a team that brings edge pressure and they rotate cover three? Um, some teams now are, are bringing edge pressure, but they're playing more of a cover two look where that mic bumps out of the box on it. And so, um, uh, and sometimes we RPO it. So it kind of changes week to week as far as how we want to handle the edge pressure, but that's something that your quarterback's got to be prepared for uh, to handle. And uh, one of the things is uh, that makes us, makes us as good as we can be is, is, having that quarterback have some, some, some of the checks on his plates, you're not having to peak so much, you know, and one of the things about, you know, our quarterback this year, Grayson McCall had an outstanding year, but man, he is, he is just a really for a redshirt freshman, man. He's just got such a great grasp on the offense. He ran a very similar offense in high school. Um, so he's got a great feel for it, but he's just got a high football IQ too. And there's, you know, um, you know, three or four checks pack, you know, package plays that we can give him per week and he can handle. And that just makes your offense run so much smoother. Um, 
you know, you're not having to constantly peek the sideline anytime you're get, you're getting some type of pressure look. Because, you know, defense quarters now, when you peek the sideline, you're going to change your look. You're going to flip your call. You're going to get out of your pressure look and go to a base look, whatever it might be. So, um, but you got an answer for that. And, and uh, so we put it on the quarterback. As far as what we go to, it kind of changes week to week. Makes a lot of sense. Good stuff. Now, you had an incredible O-line this year. Fantastic. And they were famous because they were on the shorter side. Obviously, they're fantastic players. And, you, you know, the, the results speak for themselves. It's just check out your win-loss record. But was there anything you had to do to adjust for having a shorter offensive line? This is one of the top questions I got because most high school coaches, they got to deal with that every year. It's not like a special exception. <laughs> so is, is there anything you had to compensate for that or anything different? Or was it just, no, these guys are shorter. Who cares? Let's go play. Uh, you know, Coach Durkin, our offense line coach, might have a different answer and a more, uh, uh, you know, probably a better answer than I would. But, you know, we know that going into it through recruiting, we know what, what guy we're typically going to end up getting. We're not going to get the, you know, prototypical – uh, height and weight that, that everybody's looking for. We're just, we're just typically not going to get that guy. Now, maybe that changes, you know, maybe that, that, that changes, but typically, uh, we've gotten the guy that has been overlooked, has been, uh, under recruited, uh, because he doesn't have the length, you know, the, the, you know, recruiter goes into the high school season and doesn't think he has the length. We end up getting that guy <laughs> and we end up wanting that guy because that guy plays with just an unbelievable effort, plays pissed off, plays um, like he's trying to prove somebody wrong. And uh, that's the kind that we, we we end up getting. And that's okay for us because, like I said, who we are and what we're going to run, um, you know, benefits those guys. We're not just going to sit back and, and, and run drop-back pass, you know. I mean, we're going to do it some, but most of our – if it's just a straight pass play, it's typically going to be quick game. Most of it's going to be RPO. Most of it's going to be – play action where you can kind of freeze that D line a little bit and they're not just getting teed off on. So from a pass game standpoint, um, you know, we feel like what we run helps um, overcome what some would say are some of your limitations in terms of what their height and their weight is. Uh, and then from a, a, you know, from a run game standpoint, we need guys that can move. We need guy, like you said, we, we arc our tackles out on the perimeter. You can't have a, a big stiffy and ask him to do that outside. You know, you need an right. athletic guy that can move, that can go, um, at least give you something out in space. You know, we need, you know, the inside guys, our inside guys don't have the height, but they're, um, they're good athletes. Like our starting left guard was a, a state champion wrestler in, in high school in the state of Florida, the, the true freshman, Willie Lampkin, these guys can, can move. They're quick. They're, they're good athletes. Um, so that's, that's what we go after. That's what we, we know ultimately we're, we're typically going to sign. And I think, um, I don't think it, it, it changes what you're doing with them. Cause I think, what we do from a scheme standpoint fits those types of guys. Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, it's a perfect offense. And the great thing about having shorter players is it's really hard to out leverage them. I mean, uh -huh. we used to tell our shorter kids, they had natural built-in leverage to make them feel less about being short. Although we had a, uh, we had a strong safety nickel type kid that his nickname was Wee man, like uh, from Jackass, which was not, not great, <laughs> but, I tell you what, he didn't miss tackles because he wasn't low enough ever. So I'm sure that helped. The presenting sponsor of this episode of Run Vast Option is Alex Kirby Football. Coastal Carolina has one of the hottest offenses in the game right now, and everyone is dying to know more about it. The good news is someone already did all the work for you. 
The 2020 Coastal Carolina Offense Scouting Report is an in-depth study full of information that you won't find anywhere else. In this two-part report from Coach Alex Kirby, you'll find nearly 500 pages of information on Coastal Carolina's offense that up until now was only available to the opponents who had to prepare for them. In part one, Coach Kirby gives you a basic overview of the scheme with 101 plays from the Coastal Carolina offense. This segment contains 101 carefully selected Coastal Carolina plays from the 2020 season and examines the nuance behind each and every one of them. In part two, you get the Coastal Carolina Advanced Scouting Report. This thing is the real deal, chock full of information for everything you ever wanted to know and was afraid to ask. Coach Kirby set out to analyze this offense exactly as if he was preparing to defend them. So you'll find data on things like top tendencies based on personnel, alignment, and motion, situational plays, past game hit chart, top schemes and variations drawn up and analyzed with success rate stats, and more. Finally, Coach Kirby will be adding even more data in the upcoming weeks with updates full of extra information. Buy now and you'll automatically get all those updates in your inbox at no additional charge. Best of all, Coach Kirby is giving my listeners a special discount. Get 20% off your order when you go to throwdeeppublishing.com slash VAS. Again, that's throwdeeppublishing.com slash VAS or use the coupon code VAS20 at checkout. That's V as in Victor, A-S-S, and the number 20 at checkout. This offer will not last, so grab your copy of the 2020 Coastal Carolina Offensive Scouting Report today. Just go to throwdeeppublishing.com slash VAS. So what was your number one drop back passing concept this past season? So it's funny, yes, that we just, you know, we're going through end of season cutups and, um, and we're kind of, you know, going through and, and see how many times you ran this, how well you did, you know, typical stuff, right. uh, because there's different tags to, you know, everybody runs smash, but then there's this tag to make it a post route. There's this tag to make it a read route. There's this right. tag to make it a corner post, all that different stuff. And you can, tag a curl flat concept to the field or whatever you want to do. But we tried to group everything into kind of play families based off of, you know, the, the concept of the play and, and is this read somewhat similar for the quarterback. And so the number one thing that we ran was two by two stick. That's probably the one that we ran the most and getting to it in a lot of different ways, just straight quick game uh, stick concept. And, and we go four step speed outs outside that convert cover to or press. Uh, and then inside receiver, depending on formation, you can either get a, a, a true stick route, um, like the like a the number three receiver would on a on a three by one stick concept, or you could get a a slant route, um, depending on the you know the call, the formation, game plan, all that stuff. But that's the one we threw the most: two by two stick, quick game, or taking those routes to six steps and making it more of an intermediate drop back pass type play or you know the rpo version of it where you know you're rpoing a, um you know either the free safety and taking that that speed out to the boundary or uh rpoing the strong safety of the field taking the speed out to the field so that was probably the number one uh concept that we ran the most of and and a lot of it too is just like anything uh throwing the ball running the football what are you good at what do you execute and you know, Grayson McCall, our quarterback, can execute a lot of things very well, but that's one thing in particular that he throws really, really well. Um, and, it, and he has the anticipation and the arm strength that you don't shy away from him taking that field speed out throw. Because, you know, a lot of times with us, you know, we're a heavy play action team. And a lot of times we're seeing a lot of cover four, a lot of quarters coverage. So that field corners, you know, not, not going to give up that landmark post over the top post to the field. So you get a lot of, 
a lot of soft and off inside leverage coverage from that corner to the field. So you can take advantage of that if you got the guy that consistently make that throw. So he executes it well. Um, we get easy throws off of it. It's a really, really efficient play for us. Um, and I don't think it's, I think we do it so many different ways, um, with either RPO play action, quick game, drop back that it's not a, it's not like coastal Carolina gets in this formation with this personnel grouping. Okay. I can sit dead red on, on the stick concept coming. Cause just, there's so many different variations of it, the way that we, um, you know, hide it and get to it. So, but that would be the number one thing that we throw the most. It's interesting. I never thought of stick as like a, a, you know, obviously quick game, but I never thought of it like, all right, well, let's convert this to a, you know, five step under center, three step in the gun, where it's more of like the, the choice where you get the vertical on the outside and then you're almost running like a 10 yard. You said six steps was with your inside receiver. When, when we push it a little bit, or our outside guy, when we push it, um, so our, our base, our quick game way to run, it would be a four step speed out. And if we want to take, get deeper it's a different call for us it's a different tap route goes to six steps and it ends up being you know in the 10 to 12 yard range in terms of the depth and then obviously you coordinate the quarterback's footwork to to account for that if it's just straight a drop back pass if it's play action you know not much really changes but um but you know are the are the routes different the routes are different the leverage or the the depth of the route is different but really we try to group them in um how the quarterback would read them uh, and put those into play family. So it's a lot easier. Now it's going to, with Grayson, him returning and, and having the type of year that he had, it's not quite as big of a deal. But I've got a guy that just joined us as a mid year enrollee. He's going to be his first college practice here in, in a week. Um, trying to put those conceptually into play families, play categories. So, hey, the light bulb goes on a little bit quicker for him when you, not so much the first two days of install, but once you get into the, you know, you get through spring practice, you get into fall camp, and, and um, I guess there's a lot of carryover from concept to concept. But really, you know, the routes look different, the presentation's different, but really it's a simple flat read on a flat defender, you know, if that if that makes sense. I know it's a lot easier to be able to show the clips to go along with it. But, um, but yeah, so we, we just try to group that in all the same same concept. To a defense, they might say, they might break it down as kind of being different, different plays because the, the depth changes some, uh, how we're getting to it, the formation, the shift, the, is it a play faker? Is it not? Is it an RPO? You know, all those different things, but right. for the quarterback doing it, it's, it's, it's all pretty much the same, same concept, same play. But your, your inside stick routes, not changing the, the depth. I, I guess I didn't understand. Oh yeah. Sorry. If, if, if we, if we, uh, push the route deeper, Mm-hmm. It would be um, we. It becomes a basically a twelve yard hook route, and he's going to turn okay. away from leverage. And it's an outside in progression for the quarterback. So I'm going out route to my my hook route inside. And if it's the quick game version, if it's a four step speed out, I go outside. If I if I like it, I take it. If not, I transition inside to a six yard stick route. So the inside route changes adjust uh, adjust to the uh, depth of the outside route too. And again, it's not like these guys are memorizing. These are different calls for us. This is a different. Uh, you know, we use word tags for our, for our pass concepts. So it'd be a different pass concept tag. So it's easy for the receiver to learn, but from the quarterback's perspective, those are really not that different of plays. Yeah. I never thought of it like that. I mean, I think a lot of people, they group, well, this is a five step con and obviously adjusting for the gun. So three step in the gun, one step right. in the gun for a quick game. 
but it, it makes sense. I just, and, and, uh, I just, I know those are two plays that are very common. Um, I know we saw him a lot when I was coaching at Millsap. So damn, it's coming almost a decade ago. I think every team threw that choice concept. They right. called it choices, but everybody's got a different name for it, but right. It's, it's a good play. And it, and if you got a guy in that slot that can really work the underneath defenders, it's really, really good. And it's, it's hard to, it's hard to stop. You know, it's really hard to stop. And then you, you, you know, the defense has to unwind a little bit to stop it. And it just opens everything else as you know, but, uh, right. That's really good. I just never thought of those, even though, yes, it's one of those things like when you, when you say it, it's like, Oh, of course, but I've never kind of linked those two plays together. So that was interesting. Yeah. And and we're calling that to try and hit the outside guy. You know, we're not calling that thinking, okay, the ball's going to go to the inside guy. Then the inside receiver kind of gets it. If it's, you know, it's a cover two look. It's not clean outside of the flat defender jumps the outside right and I transitioned in. You know, we, we got probably better stuff to try and target your the inside guy, your your slot guy. You know, there's better ways of getting him the football. But um right. but just in terms of what do we call the most and what do we execute the most efficiently, that 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 concept was probably our best one. Gotcha. Coach, talk to me about how you teach your quarterbacks and your, your teaching progression from the beginning when you're getting a guy, you know, the foundations of how you're reading a defense and then maybe talk about how it changes week to week based on an opponent. Well, I think first, uh, first and foremost, especially when you've, uh, as I mentioned before, we've got a, uh, mid-year and a quarterback who just, just finished up his high school career and he's, and he's with us in January. So you're thinking specifically about a guy like that, you know, when you got a returning player returning starter you know some of this is already accomplished but it, it doesn't matter if a guy's been a three-year starter or, or it's his first day on campus you have to start all the way over especially in January you start it at phase one day one and I think first you and your quarterback have to be using the same terminology same lingo and really identifying the defense the same way because um that that player might be IDing a front a certain way or he might be calling a strong safety a rover or and maybe at his high school they call that player the star I don't know whatever it is I think you have to take time to make sure you're on the same wavelength with your uh, quarterback using the same terminology and how are you identifying fronts how do you identify a three down front or four down front or bear how you're identifying the individual players on the field uh, like I said, you call that player a spur. Do you call that player a Sam linebacker? Do you call that player a spear? Whatever you, whatever your terminology is, he has to be saying it the same way that you're saying it. So, and I don't think I did a very good job of that initially because you know you're wired as a coach to think, okay, install. I got to teach him the plays. I got to teach him the plays. I got to teach him the plays. And obviously, you have to do that. But if you jump over that too quickly, I think um, you're having to backtrack later down the road and and um, and you're not as efficient, and you're especially not as efficient on game day, especially if you're up in the box on, on game day. I'm up in the box, and, and so communication's at a premium in terms of how we're identifying things and making adjustments and, and all that on game day. So I think it starts there with defensive identification and you guys using the same terminology, using the same language. Um, right. From a pass game standpoint, um, I think, like I said earlier, when, when I was talking about our our past concepts, uh, it, it starts with, um, with what is, is it a progression play in terms, and when I say progression prep play, just like everybody, that means regardless of what coverage I'm getting, no matter what the defense is doing, I'm going one to two to three to four 
and what is my footwork associated with that concept? Um, or is it a middle field open, middle field close uh, pass concept? And so going working through that, is it a, um, you know, some of our stuff is like we ha we'll have like an isolation route to the boundary. And so if the free safety gives me a look to be able to take that guy, take my one-on-one, my -on -one, I'm going to take it. And if not, I'll transition to a, a concept to the field. So is it, a, is, it a, is it an isolation play, free safety read type play? So I think then you start to get into the pass game. You get into um, putting those pass concepts into play families so they – so they overlap and there's some uh, some carryover from past because some of the route details and adjustments and alignments and, you know, those are going to change up based off your game plan, based off of what you're trying to accomplish. But a curl flat concept that you learned in seventh grade, you know, you're still executing that same type of read. You might just be having a different way of getting to it or a different depth or a different drop. So trying to put all those past concepts into play family so it's easier for a, a younger guy to be able to pick that up uh quick uh quickly so so i think what type of, of read is it progression middle up middle close like i said the footwork that's associated with it and then taking your indie and making sure your indie progression um or your indie drills are geared towards the past concepts that are going in that day you know so if i'm you know we, we throw a lot of different variations of of smash inverted smash you know either drop back high low um different ways of getting to it so my guys better be really really good at um you know manipulating that flat defender on high low progressions um so I, I need to make sure that my indie drills are geared towards whatever is on the install schedule at that uh on that day and again want to you know I think I've, I've only been coaching quarterbacks for this will be year number three. Um, love coaching receivers before that, but the whole time I'm just, you know, licking my chops, waiting for the opportunity to coach quarterbacks. I've, I've loved the position. I'm passionate about it. If you're doing it, you're, you're thinking in terms of, you know, how many, you know, different individual drills can I come up with? How cool can my individual drills look, you know, uh, what would look good on a drill tape? And really it's, it's, it's not about that. There's plenty of good drills out there, but are, are my individual drills, are they, helping my players improve at what they're going to be asked to do on game day and in scrimmages and in practice, or they just to simply get better at drills. So, um, you know, putting together your individual schedule based off of what that install schedule is. So I think that's kind of, I, I think overall, I mean, obviously there's a lot more details to it, but overall, when you just take a snapshot of what does our teaching progression look like, I think that's how it, it kind of looks from a past game standpoint. And then, and then you, you'd start the same way on your, your RPOs. Okay. I try to put, uh, put all of our, um, you know, for reading the overhang to the field for the RPO, th those, all those plays are grouped together. If I'm RPO on the, the free safety, all those concepts are put together in a, in a play family. So with the RPOs, who, who am I, who, who am I trying to put in conflict, which defender am I trying to manipulate um, and, and trying to group those together. And then from a run game standpoint, you know, we do a lot of different things in the run game. You mentioned, you know, we're, we're I think people enjoy watching us play because if you're an option coach, you love watching us because we run option. If you're a spread coach, we do a lot of different RPOs and spread sets, different things like that. You know, so I think um, we got a little a little bit of something for everybody. Um, but the run game kind of, you know, goes into that same thought process. You know, what am I trying? Who, who 
which conflict am I re- or which uh, defender am I trying to put in conflict? Which defender am I responsible for reading? And then does the footwork trying to make sure my footwork matches up with that? And then again, building your individual, your your group periods uh, with receivers, with running backs, uh, based off of what is installed on that day. So you're just hammering, you know, the same things that they're going to do and practice the same thing on game day over and over and over to where it's muscle memory. Yeah, and you um, mentioned it, you know, you guys, first of all, what you're saying with the drills and everything, it's, I, I think every coach has been guilty of that, you know, trying to. Right make things look cool for, you know, you got, especially you guys got coming and visiting, you know, if COVID allows it, you're going to have a record number of visitors this off season. If that's able to be a thing, hopefully it will be, you know, so you want some cool drill tape and some things, but making sure it's efficient, effective and, and, and has carryover obviously is the most important, but you guys are fun to watch. I mean, option coaches, spread coaches, wing T coaches, you know, you got that front side guard pulling and kicking. I mean, freeze option, a lot of really great stuff in there. And uh, I, I really, really enjoyed watching you guys this year. Uh, and it was a lot of fun. And I hope, you know, I hope you keep it rolling in 21 and, um, you know, have all that success continuing. I got a couple more questions and then I will let you go. Yep. You've been very generous with your time. Um, what are you thinking that I noticed was your FIB package? What are you looking for when you're designing those formation, the boundary checks? check with me stuff, you know, what are some things and numbers, depth, you know, what are, what are you really zeroing, zeroing in on there? Well, I think the number one thing is just how, how the defense lines up to it. You know, do they, um, do, are, are the linebackers playing on a string where the line, the wheel bumps out into the boundary, the mic bumps further in the box and the spurs more in the box, or is it, um, something, an adjustment from the secondary, the secondary kickover and the free safety comes down and is, and is inverted down to the boundary. So I think the first thing we start with um, our uh, formation uh, into the boundary stuff is just what kind of picture are we consistently getting? Is it, is, it a, uh, is it an adjustment game to game from the defense or is it pretty consistent? If I get into, you know, um, FSL trips, we say, we call it form- FSL, formation into the sideline. If I call it FSL trips, tight end, slot, uh, receiver into the boundary, you know, what does that picture look like? If that's consistent, then there's, there's, um, you know, what happens a lot of times is you'll end up having throws that you like. I feel like we, you know, coach Isaac and myself, we end up finding play actions or throws that we like a lot of, but if there's not enough core run concepts that you want to run out of that, then we're probably not going to do it, you know, because at the, at the end of the day, we want to make sure that our, our core runs are protected with, RPOs and with play actions, not the other way around. Get into a formation just to call this this pass player this this one RPO. And a lot of our stuff is, um, you know, a lot of our stuff is, you know, typically we're getting to our twenty one personnel formations, but with emotion at that point. You know, getting that second running back into the backfield and whatever you're trying to do with it. Um, but it re- the main thing is, is there a consistent FIB check from the defense. Do you feel good about the angles up front that, that you're able to exploit? And then typically, if we really, really love a run concept off of it, we're typically able to put together ways to protect that run with RPOs and play actions. But but if we get to, like, when Newland and I watch all the first and second down cut-ups and we get to the end of 
Sunday night, and there's an unba- or a, a formation of the boundary um, formation that we like. And there's just a two two pass plays we liked out of it, and maybe one RPO. We probably don't end up doing it just because you know, like I said, it has to have a core run concept that we like out of it in order to make the argument to invest practice time into it. Do you ever change the math count if uh, guys are off? So, for example, when I was on a team that ran this, it was basically two over three in the boundary. You throw it into the boundary. Or if it was obviously one over three and zero over three, you would do the same. But if it was three over three, we didn't do it unless I think it was like one or two of the guys were over seven yards and they didn't count. I mean, did you guys do anything like that? Or is it just a simple count? Um, You know, most of our, uh, most of our past game, when it comes to that stuff is typically you're making it, trying to turn it into a middle field, middle field close read. You know, does, does the field safety kick all the way over to where you got some, uh, you've got one-on-ones to the field or you've got good looks for curl, curl flat type concepts to the field with your pre-releasing your back and your, your split out X to the field. You know, if not, if that free safety kind of hangs and you feel like you've got an opportunity to potentially work some type of concept into the boundary, which really comes down more so to this, the safety structure, not, not in terms of, you know, counting numbers or anything like that. We, we base more of it and there's not a ton of base pass game that we do out of it. Really. It's more, the better stuff for us has been RPOs and play action. Then there might be like one or two dropbacks that we like out of it, but we don't major in it at a major out of it a ton. And it's usually more of kind of a third down, uh, you know, in terms of dropback pass, we try to get to it on third down, but counting, counting guys, how many guys know, we, we just try to check out the safety uh, structure. Are they trying to get an extra out of there by rotating the safety? Or then you feel good about your matchups and spacing to the field at that point. That makes sense. Last question before I give you the hypothetical scenario we close out the podcast with. Um, I noticed that versus Liberty, you included several variations of counter, influence trap, 10 personnel power, as well as pulling the backside guard more than you did for most of the season. What was the reasoning behind it? Was it something that you saw or was it stuff that you were like, you know, we need to do something a little different? Or was it like something like, hey, maybe we should look, take a look at this for next year? Uh, more so just how uh, uh, Liberty is um, put together from a defensive standpoint. They're a base four-down team, ah. and, you know, they don't mix in a ton of three-down stuff. And everybody in our league, we, I mean, we, 11 out of 12 games, we, we saw three-down. That's wild. Uh, you know, you've got some teams within our league that mix in three and four-down. Uh, but um, I would say even those guys that mix in three and four-down are base three-down teams that get to four-down. Liberty's pretty much exclusively a four down team. They'll mix in three down like one snap a game, probably just to make you talk about it, you know, but mm-hmm. they're a base four down team. So the concepts that we were running against those guys from a run game standpoint is more of our, this is how we'd like to attack four down teams. And, um, but it, they weren't expensive plays. It wasn't like, okay, we installed new concepts for them or anything like that. Those are all things that are installed and, and those are all skills that our guys work all year long just to make sure when you do get that now maybe it changes next year we got some new head coaches within our league maybe you see more four down so you maybe see more of what we did against liberty from a run game standpoint going forward but but that's the main reason four down versus three now we got we got a way that we like to attack four down teams you got a way that we like to attack three down teams and and um and those plays adjust well when you're playing against a team that mixes in three down to four down 
you know, a lot of that comes down to having a quarterback that you feel good about can make those checks. And Grayson McCall is very, very, very sharp kid. And we give him a lot of, we put a lot on his plate in terms of getting us into the right play based off of the front structure that you get. And that goes back to your, your previous question, your teaching progression, where does it start? My guys have, we have to be able to identify fronts correctly and the same way that the coaches identify fronts because we're at our best when we can put more on his plate and he can get us into the right play. Because when you get into the game of, of checking to the sideline and, and, and changing the play and letting us as coaches make the call, defensive coordinator too, too sharp, too good, they're going to change the picture, going to change the look. If, if they got an edge pressure look coming from the field, they'll flip it, bring it from the boundary. Or, you know, um, so you know, the more that we can put on his plate, the better we are, the, the better rhythm there is. And I think it, it makes us a lot harder to defend because now you're kind of taking the, the pen out of the defensive coordinator's hands at that point. So, um, so I, I hope that helped answer the question. But it's a base three-down attack, four-down attack, and, and the ability to get us into the right play if a team mixes in both fronts. That makes sense, and I guess it's good, you know, if you're going to face that situation for it to be the last game of the year because, I mean, obviously you're not going to brain dump after one week of – you know, changing up what you're going to do, but it was, it probably allowed you a little bit more freedom to say, Hey, you know what? Like, this is it, you know, like this, this is it. This is the last game of the season. So we don't have to worry about, cause I know from my perspective, sometimes you worry like, okay, not only can we get this pulled off in a week, but are we going to use this again? Like, you know, it kind of restricts you like, well, you know, I don't know if I want to do all this stuff because it's not going to have carryover for the rest of the year. But hell, if it's the last game of the year, let it rip, you know? So, right. I mean, yep. if that's game six or when you guys were supposed to play, you were supposed to play them early in the year, correct? Yeah, we're supposed to play them uh, the last game of the year, December December 2nd. I think that's right. So they were going to be the last game of the year no matter what? They were, uh, BYU replaced them. So whatever oh, we thought, right. that was December 2nd. BYU took that spot. Right. Well, I guess, I mean, I guess at that point too, with the bowl game, but you know, if it's week six, you know, you kind of, you know, uh, I don't know. We're not going to do this much the rest of the year. I don't know if it's worth the time, but man, let it rip. Especially after the season you guys had, you're not holding anything back at that point. Yeah. Yeah. And again, you know, I think if it was like something that didn't marry up with what you did, I know it probably had the presentation of, of looking like a lot different, but it wasn't as expensive as maybe it looked. Because right. the the rules are taught that way, and do you get a rep at a ton on game day? No, because you, you're seeing so much three down. But you know, we're trying. You know, Coach Durkin does a great job of making sure those guys understand that, and he can those things as individual. And then when you get to that that game, and the reason we did it is because okay, this is this is puts our guys in the best possible situation. We're not going to ask them to do our best anyway. Do our best to not put them and ask them to do things that are difficult for them to execute. You know, and put them in bad. So. The reason we're doing that it gave our guys better opportunities to get more movement, to get better angles, and because they're good up front, man. If you watch that game, those guys are those guys are well coached, played hard. They did a fantastic job, and they were really, really good up front. So, just some of the things we needed to do to create angles, create movement. Um, but um, but if that was something, if that's to what you're talking about, if it was week six and we're game planning for them, and we haven't done anything up to that point, we didn't do anything in spring or fall camp to prepare for that look and just put a play in because of the front you're seeing that week, I'm, I'm very, very hesitant on that because I feel like, you know, you can come up with the best idea and put it up on the board and everybody can look at it and say, yeah, that, that'd be good. But then you're screwing your guys. You're asking them to do something that they don't do all the time. I think one of the biggest reasons we were 
a lot better this year. There's a lot of reasons for that. And, you know, one of the biggest ones is, you know, Grayson McCall having a great year, uh, Coach Durkin doing what he did with the offensive line. But uh, from a coaching staff standpoint, we really, really tried to shrink down the amount of things we're asking those guys to do and just rep it, rep it, rep it. And it still looks like we do a lot. And we do, we do more in the running game probably than most people. But we shrunk it down even more from the year before. And, you know, you get to the end of the season cutups. We ran that play. We ran a play you know, two or three times. Why are we, te- why are we installing that? Why are we teaching that? Let's not teach that. Let's, let's take the hundreds of practice reps we put into that play that you ran only three times and invested into something that you're going to, you know, you're going to run a lot of during the year. That's where, and you know how it is, you know, when you, when you, when you have a play, you know, and you, and you say you're going to take it out, it's like, you know, it's like you're, co- coaches don't like doing that. We don't like no. doing that. Right. You know, that's a hard thing to do sometimes, but um, but I think that's one of the biggest reasons that we we were a lot better this year um, offensively is just shrinking down what you want to go to and what you want to be good at. Yeah, that's something I've always struggled with, and I, I don't know if I'll ever be good at it. Maybe when I'm old and wise and, you know, it's one of those <laughs> things you listen to a lot of people talk about and you're like, yeah, I should probably do that. But my personality. It's uh, hard. It's hard I, to do it. I've talked about this on the other podcast, but um I was hanging out with Nick Rapone, who's now the defensive backs coach for the Tampa Bay Bucks. And he was, I think he was back in college at this point. I don't know. He was the Cardinals and he was Delaware. Then we were talking and, um, you know, he said, uh, I want to be in four, three quarters, 70% of the time. This when he was in college, he was referring to that. And I said, okay. And we were hanging out in San Francisco at the Glacier. And so he had been, he had come from Delaware or wherever. And I, I, and I'm the type of guy that we had to have everything. Like we just, we have everything and half of it's useless, but I just, I'm one of those people that are paranoid. And I said, coach, I got a question for you. When, when you came on this trip, how much, how much did you pack in your suitcase? He said, Chris, I didn't even bring a suitcase. I, I have like an overnight bag. I didn't check a bag. I like stuffed everything into a roller bag, an overnight bag. And I said, how long are you going to be here for? I said, he says, well, I think about four days. My wife's coming to join me. I think we're going to go to wine country for a day or two. I said, coach, if I went on a four or five day trip, <laughs> I'd have a suitcase. I've had iPad, books. Uh, I would have brought DVDs with me. I would have had uh, a computer, maybe two computers. I mean, I'm one of those people that I, <laughs> I pack everything. And I think that there's, yeah. What if it rains? What if it snows? What if I spill mustard on the shirt? What if I, what if yeah. I get bored, even though right. our phones now can keep us busy forever in perpetuity, but I, that's how I am personality wise. And I, I think there's, I mean, I don't know if there's a straight correlation between that exact example, but it's something interesting to think about. And no doubt is that you're struggling with eliminating stuff. Think about when you go on trips I think there's something to be said. I, I think it takes a lot of trust in your guys. Like you said, one of the best things that you did was simplify. You know, it's something I've struggled with. Like when we've played system offenses where, like you know, we used to play the double tight, double wing in the Bay Area. You can't really blitz it. You can do have like an edge blitz or two, but you don't know where they're going to motion to. So you can really only blitz to the motion or away from the motion. You can't blitz inside. They're foot to foot. What the hell was the point of that? And right. so you're handcuffed by the scheme. Like if you do this stuff, it will hurt you. You know, it will hurt you. And I think those were some of our best game plans. And even though the proof is in the pudding, I'm just, I don't have that in me. It's, it's definitely, it's definitely a weakness. So kudos to you for being a, 
you know, being such a young coach and, and having that, that wherewithal to be mature in that way. I mean, that's, that's, that's big time, I think. Well, I think it's, uh, it's definitely, definitely not just me. I think it's every, everybody on the, on the staff being on the same page, coach Isaac, same way, you know, coach Durkin, same way. Let's, let's, Hey, let's, let's get good at what we want to get good at. And, um, and so everybody be on the same page, you know? Um, but, uh, and it's nothing revolutionary. You've heard that said a million times. And I've heard it said a million times, but when you actually have to make the decision to cut this concept or cut this play, that's where it's like, they're all your, your babies, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, 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 you guys are better than me. And, uh, you know what? Maybe they all were involved in it, but you're on the podcast. So I'm giving you all the credit. He didn't say it. Right. I did. <laughs> all right, coach. Last thing for you before I let you go. All right. Here's the scenario. We brought this over from the other podcast. So you're actually the first answer on the new one. Um, basically what it is, is I give you a scenario. It's the same scenario for every coach. It gives you a little flavor. I think defensively it gives, it gives a little more of an attitude of flavor where you're going to drop eight or bring the house offensively. It's more of, you know, what's your favorite? What's your baby? Speaking of babies, what's your baby? So here's the scenario. The NCAA gets their life together and they expands the playoffs and the Chanticleers. Did I say that right? Uh, Chanticleers. Chanticleers. Chant- that Chanticleers. sounds way fancier than how I said it. So yeah, the Chanticleers. That sounds. There you go. You know, for a program that advertises their mullets, you guys got a fancy ass sounding mascot, the Chanticleers. I, I got to tell you, it's it, we've got something for everybody, man. I love you it. Know? I love it. <laughs> it's great. All right, so here's the scenario: the NCAA gets their life together, they expand the playoff. You guys run the table, national championship game, fourth and nine. Okay. 35-yard line. You got one timeout and nine seconds left. Okay? Your kicker is nails. You're up by two. All you got to do is get the first down. He don't care what hash it's on. He's He's got the mullet flowing. He's ready to roll, but he's, you know, you got to get him a little closer. You got that that timeout in your pocket, so you don't have to, you don't have to throw it out. You don't have to get to the sideline, but you do need to get nine yards. All the marbles on the line. What's your gut telling you? What's your call right now? Well, I'd like to. Um, I would like to probably try to motion to get to some type of stack alignment. So in that situation, I'm not crazy about going. You know, you'd love to for us specifically. You love getting your backs out in the in the pass game, but I don't want to get myself in a situation where you're in five man protection, smoke you, and um, you know he's not able to to get to a second read or anything like that. So I'd, I'd want to get to some type of stack alignment and probably motion to it. So for us, we we, we kind of live in, in those situations, more 11 personnel rather than 10 personnel. So 11 personnel, um, I'd like to motion uh, my uh, maybe from a three-by-one or a two-by-two two and, and get to a stack alignment, both those receivers right on top of each other, and get some type of high-low, like an inverted smash to mm-hmm. the boundary, and then or to the field and then have like some type of drive concept coming from the opposite side of the, of the formation. So for us specifically, probably like some type of invert smash to the boundary from a stack alignment, uh, where you're getting some, trying to get some type of rub and then that drive concept from the field. So if I do get and a six man protect, protection, six man slide protection. So if I do get heated up, I feel like I can at least get decent protection to let some type of route develop. Um, don't want to go five man protection in case you do, you got to throw hot and you're throwing, in that situation being fourth to nine. Um, so if they go zone, I feel good about it. Cause I got a high, low, uh, progression type read for the quarterback and then have him transition to that drive concept coming into his, 
his field of vision. So the, the smash to the boundary, the drive coming from the field and expecting that drive concept, if I'm getting man and I don't get a good rub on the smash concept, it gets some type of rub for that drive to the field and try and hit that guy on, on the move, on the run, if I get man. But I feel good about it. if I get zone, if I get time to work through the progression, um, being able to work that, that smash concept to the boundary with two being the rollover and one being the seam release corner. Great answer, Coach. Thank you so much for coming on, being the first to answer the question. Did we convert it? Did we get it? Or did you did you stuff me? Did I get sacked? What it. happened? I brought the house and I, I got missed, it. and you got me, <laughs> and you won. Mullets win. Coach, thank you so much for coming on. I appreciate you. Um, I know we had to do this in a couple times and or a couple different bits, and, and uh, I really, really appreciate your time. You know, I know that everybody wants to talk to you right now. And so I feel honored that, uh, you, you know, you took all this time to talk to me and especially for a podcast, just starting, I mean, you're literally kicking it off. So uh, it really means a lot to me. Thank you so much. And, uh, I'll talk soon. Thanks to Willie Korn for coming on the show. I appreciated all of his insight on the coastal Carolina offense. Follow Willie Corn on Twitter at Willie Corn. That's Corn with a K. Make sure you follow me on Twitter at Coach Vass and the show's account at Run Vass Option. Make sure you check out Bill Durkin's Coach Tube course by going to the show notes and clicking the link, as well as Alex Kirby's book on the offense by going to throwdeeppublishing.com slash Vass. Enter the code Vass20 for a 20% discount. Also, if you want to check out some of my Coach Tube courses on the defensive side of the ball, the links are in the show notes as well. Patreon.com slash Coach Vass. Also check out the website CoachVass.com. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review the show. We really appreciate it. And check out the new YouTube page, YouTube.com slash Coach Football. And we will see you next time.